how do you make big decisions? How do you go about it? Uh, what do you do? Uh, are there any big decisions looming on the horizon for you? Now, I brought a pack of Band-Aids here, and you may wonder why. I don't know if anybody needs a Band-Aid this morning. If so, this box is a little bit tired, but I have some Band-Aids here. If you need, to, need a Band-Aid right now, just come forward, and I'll be happy to give you one. Any takers? You're okay? Okay. If you change your mind, let me know. This sermon, I suppose, we could view it a little bit like a Band-Aid. You may not need it today, but I imagine, how many of you have something like this at home? Why do you have it at home? Just in case. And when you need it, well, it's not the best time to have to go out and get it. And so, perhaps this sermon, you might say, you know, that's not really where I am right now. Well, that's fine, but I hope that you will, if you don't feel like this speaks to your heart today, like this Band-Aid box, I would keep it around because all of us face decisions in our life, don't we? Times when we have to make choices, and sometimes they're big decisions, sometimes they're big choices, uh, and so we're going to look at that. Uh, sometimes it's a choice of whether or not to purchase that house or that car or where to go to school, who to marry. That's a very big one, by the way. Is it time for kids, change of job, a move? Maybe it's a doctor's visit and they're describing something that is overwhelming to you. Or maybe it's just some financial decision. But all of us have choices that come to us. And so the question is, how do we know which way to go? What is God's will for my life? Uh, we were looking at a time in David's life when just for a moment, if you will, or, or a period of time, he took matters into his own hands. And you remember he went and asked for the, the sword of Goliath to help protect himself. Didn't help protect Goliath, but now David is relying on the sword rather than relying upon God. And it's in chapter 22 and 23. David's in the cave and, and different things. But he seeks the Lord now again for direction of what to do. Uh, and we looked at a few of those verses uh, last time we were talking about this. 1 Samuel 23, 2, and then verse 4. It says, David inquired of the Lord. Uh, and it repeats that again. He inquired of the Lord yet again. And so it was at the door. It was during the week. It was even just this last week. Different people were asking, uh, how do you inquire of the Lord? How do you know what God is telling or asking you to do? And that's a fair question. And as pastors, we get that a fair bit. Pastor, I don't know what to do. And sometimes they're even pleading with us, tell me what to do. <laughs> I can't tell you what to do. I'm not God, right? Uh, and so <clears throat> I wanted to look at a few principles here, and we're going to list them as we go through them, and we'll try and do this quickly. But how to know God's will for your life. And so these are the same principles that are here on the sheets. So you don't have to jot it down. A good number of the verses are here, but not all of them are here. So if you see one that's not there, go ahead and, and write one more in. And I recognize there are probably dozens, if not hundreds, of other verses uh, that could fit in with each of these. And so you're certainly welcome to add your favorites. But the first principle I, I think is important for us to look at. Know God wants to guide you. We just need to recognize that. God is not indifferent about your life or mine. He has a plan and a purpose, and he wants us to know what that plan is. 
And so it's important for us to know that God wants to guide us. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And so who's speaking here? God is speaking. And who's he speaking to? He's speaking to David. And what is the promise here? God is promising to guide David. And in the same way, he promises to guide you and to me. It doesn't say, I might instruct you. Does your version say that? I might guide you. No, it says, I will instruct you. I will guide you. Another one, Isaiah 58, 11, says, The Lord will guide you how often? Continually. And satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isn't that a good promise? So maybe you're confused, perplexed, overwhelmed. Claim the promises of God, that the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your soul in drought. This is perhaps my favorite verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This one's not on your study guide, but I think most of us have this one memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He, again, shall or will direct your paths. We need more than guidance. We need a guide. And so we ask God for guidance, but we also ask God to be our guide. And I believe he wants to guide us and that he will guide us. Another one, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. We read this one oftentimes at Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so who's the child spoken of here? We know it's Jesus. Who is he born unto? It's us. Who is the son given to? It's us. And he came to the earth for us came to live for us, to die for us. He's ministering in heaven even now for us, and he's coming again for us. But what does it tell us about this Jesus in this verse? That he's a wonderful counselor, among other things, but he wants to be your wonderful counselor. Do you need wisdom? Do you need understanding? Isaiah 11, verse 2 Another one I added in here, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Friends, you may not have wisdom, but Jesus does. You may not have understanding, but Jesus does. You might not have counsel and might, but Jesus does. You may not have the spirit of knowledge, but Jesus does. And his name shall be called, what everybody? Wonderful Counselor. Is Jesus a wonderful counselor to you? James 1 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives how? To all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Colossians 2 2 and 3, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's in Christ that we find all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when we don't know what to do, which way to go, we come 
to Jesus, knowing that in him are the hidden treasures of this wisdom and knowledge. Christ Object Lessons 146 says, You need not go to the ends of the earth for wisdom, for God is near. It is not the capabilities you now possess or ever will have that will give you success. It is that which the Lord can do for you. We need to have far less confidence in what man can do and far more confidence in what God can do for every believing soul. Do you believe that? It's not just that God can guide us. We must have faith that He will guide us and that He longs to guide us and that He will show us where to go and what to do. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So maybe you're in the crucible of decision. We call on Him, and He will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. So first, know God wants to guide you. Secondly, be willing to do God's will. Now wait a second, I thought I was praying to do God's will. Yes, but it's a lot easier to pray for God's will than it is to be willing to do whatever God asks you to do. Hebrews 10, verse 7 says, Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. So, Lord, I want to do your will. Give me clarity. And it's this submission that if you reveal it, I'll do it. We could ask the question, how do I know if something is God's will or my will? Here's a litmus test. Are you ready? If you're willing to give up the thing that you want most, you can know that you're willing to do God's will. Amen. Are you willing to give up the thing that you want most? Amen. It's a lot easier said than done. Sometimes I have people come to me, Pastor, we found a beautiful home, and, and we're just not sure. It's a little bit far away. It's on the outskirts, but... We prayed, and we don't get real answers, and we weighed out the pros and the cons. We made a list. How are we supposed to know? Are you so in love with that house that you're unwilling to give it up if God says no? Is our mind set on that? Because if we're already fixed on something, if we've already determined in our mind how the Lord is going to lead us, then we're going to have a difficult time truly weighing out God's will in that situation. Psalms 27, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. But what if nothing happens? What if I'm praying and the cloud isn't moving? You know that same psalm, Psalm 27, a few verses down, it says this in verse 14. It says, wait on the Lord. Have you come across that in the psalms? It's a reoccurring theme. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The one thing I'm going to repeat is the wait. When we talked last time, we don't like to wait. But don't get discouraged if you don't get an answer right away. You just wait on the Lord. And it doesn't mean that you just wait in inactivity it doesn't mean you just wait and do nothing. 
No, we walk in the light that we have been given, knowing that more light will come. Let me just give you an illustration of this. I know it's getting more and more crowded in the community that we are living in, but you can still find these hollers. You know what I'm talking about? And let's just suppose you go and you visit this friend out in a holler, and you drive and you drive, and the road gets whinier and whinier. Eventually it's a gravel, and there is nothing. The nearest Dollar General feels like it's 100 miles away, and it's just you and this road, and your GPS has lost signal, but it still is telling you this cabin is up ahead, and sure enough, it's there. And you visit with your friend in this cabin, you say, this is beautiful. I have no idea where I am, but this is gorgeous. And after that nice visit, it's time to go home. It's very dark. It's overcast. No stars. No moon. I mean, it's just this thick darkness. Maybe it's even fog. Here's the illustration. If you turn on your lights away from the, forget the fog, your brights, uh, Google tells me, will go about 350, maybe 400 feet. After that, it's darkness. And so what are you going to do? You have miles and miles and miles to get home. Are you going to charge back into your friend's cabin and say, there's no way I can do this. How come? I turn on my lights and I only see 350 feet ahead of me and everything after that is dark. I don't know if there's a turn up there or not. You get the point? We start traveling with the light that we have, and as we continue traveling and we continue praying, continue claiming promises, that light continues to shine on the next corner, the next curve, the next whatever it is. And so, yes, we're waiting on the Lord, but we are acting in the light that we've been given. Until you give me more light, this is the direction I'm going. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, 199, says this, The visible and the invisible world are in close contact. Could the veil be lifted? We could see evil angels pressing their darkness around us and working with all their power to deceive and destroy. Friends, we're in a great controversy. There are other angels that long to lead you in directions you don't want to go. Wicked men are surrounded, influenced, and aided by evil spirits. The man of faith and prayer has yielded his soul to divine guidance, and angels of God bring to him light and strength from heaven. And so if we are men and women of faith, if we are men and women of prayer, if we yield our soul, God brings to us light and strength from heaven above. And so we walk in the light, trusting that God will give you more light when you need it. Number three, analyze your motives. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Why? That you may spend it on your own pleasures. Your version might say your own lusts, your own desires. So in this verse, we see that their motives are not pure. They ask and receive not because they want it for themselves. Can we do that? We come to God with our own agenda and we want to believe that what we want is God's will. There's a story of an old Scottish woman that was selling buttons. And she was traveling around with her wares, and she would throw up a stick every time she came to a fork in the road. And whichever way the stick pointed, she was destined to go down that road. And so she'd come to another fork, and she'd throw up the stick, and it must be time to go this way. And she'd throw up the stick, must be time to go that way. Until on one occasion, she's throwing the stick up in the air over and over and over again. 
until somebody was wondering, why do you keep throwing the stick up in the air? Well, because the stick keeps telling me to go left, but I know I need to go right. Anybody here throwing sticks up in the air? I keep praying, but I haven't got an answer. No, maybe we just don't like the answer. Another principle to, to make sure we pay attention to, look for biblical principles to guide you. So one, know God wants to guide you. Be willing to do God's will. Analyze your motives. And four, look for biblical principles to guide you. The Holy Spirit, I promise you, will never lead you to do something contrary to the Word of God. We want to seek the will of the Spirit in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. Because if you simply depend on the Spirit without the Word... You can be subject to great delusions. Pastor, the Lord showed me. And I've met some of those people. And I know because that's not the Lord showing them because it goes contrary specifically to this book. But they like to trump anything and everything else because the Lord showed me specifically. Well, God's word says, and that doesn't matter. This is above, they say. No, it needs to go together. The Holy Spirit will never guide you contrary to his holy word. There's a fascinating passage that links the guidance of God with the truth of God. And David is praying desperately to know what to do. It's in Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. It says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Do you see how guidance and truth go together? They're not in uh, opposites or in, a, in opposition to one another. Psalm 119, 24, your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors, talking again about God's word. You might say, well, I've never seen in God's word where it says specifically. No, but there are principles here that can apply to your situation. So study it out. Ask God to guide you as you're doing that. Also in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Mark Finley tells the story. He had an Adventist father, or a, a Protestant became Adventist, and a Catholic mother. And so his father promised his mother certain things, that he would be raised Catholic and so on. But as he became and was coming of age, he was able to choose for himself, and he was just... He was in high school, just starting to have some understanding of the Sabbath. And Pastor Finley is relatively tall, and he was part of a local YMCA in, in Norwich, Connecticut. And they would have these tournaments. And he was asked to be on this all-star basketball team to play uh, in this tournament. And as they progressed, they were, they were moving up in the ladder, if you will, and they were going to go from Norwich, Connecticut to Springfield, Massachusetts. And he says, as a teenager, I wanted that so bad. This was going to be my one and only chance in life to travel the world, to see Massachusetts. He says, we couldn't afford hotels and going out to eat, and we were going to be able to do both of those things. Can you imagine? Pastor Finley has stayed in a few hotels, and in a few restaurants, and he's been a few times around the world. This was my only chance. Now, the tournament started on Thursday. And if you won that tournament, it went to Thursday night, and then Friday morning, and then Friday night, and then Sabbath. I mean, Friday night is Sabbath, but you understand. And he was thinking about that, what to do, what to do. I'm just starting to understand this Sabbath concept. 
But you know, I don't even know if we'll make it that far. Perhaps I could just play in the first few games, and then, I, you know, if they keep going, I'll just let them play without me. He's mulling this over. He calls somebody in his local church, an older lady that he looked up to, and he thought, I'm going to ask her, and I think she's going to be excited for me. I'm going to see what she has to say. And so he explained the whole situation. He was all excited, and, and so he then listened for her response, and she said, well, Mark, what does the Bible say about the Sabbath? And what do you think Jesus would do? He says, I thought about that for the next day and the day after and the day after that. Started thinking, you know, if, if we do win, then win, and then end up, it's going to be awfully hard. My team will be depending on me. So he decided not to play. How often do we consult God's word, though, in the major decisions of life? You know, one of the most major decisions I think we, any of us can make, certainly coming to the Lord is major, but who we're going to marry? You know, you pick a job and it doesn't work out, there's other jobs. You move and that doesn't work out, there's other moves. There's other houses, there's other cars, there's other whatever. But a spouse... Oh, pastor, I'm so excited to introduce you to this man. He is so wonderful, and he's thoughtful, and he's polite, and he's, he's good to his mother, and he's handsome, and, and I just can't wait for you to meet him. That's wonderful. And I know you're a committed Christian Seventh-day Adventist. Is he the same? Well, that's the only thing. But he promised me that if we get married... We'll go to church. Well, but what if it doesn't pan out that way? What if he initially does, but that later on, and then you have children, and, and you're trying to, to raise them. We're going to Sabbath. We're going to church today. He's going fishing. He's going to a ball game. That's going to be a challenging situation. Going to grandmother's or great-grandma's funeral and, and he's saying, no, she's in heaven and you're saying, no, they're asleep and that's going to be confusing. We stay away from pork chops. No, that's my favorite. That's going to be hard. Do we have counsel in God's word about this? Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Or how about 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Oh, but pastor, my aunt or my cousin or whatever, and it worked out great for them. They're so happy. Friends, one exception when you have perhaps a hundred examples of ruin, don't base your life on the exception. Base your life on the Word of God. Sometimes I hear as well, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. They're also Christian, but not Seventh-day Adventist. Isn't that close enough? In the scenario I just picked, painted here, isn't there some major differences there? Adventist Home 67 says to connect with the unbelievers, to place yourself on Satan's ground. You grieve the Spirit of God and forfeit his protection. Can you afford to have such terrible odds against you in fighting the battle for everlasting life? Those are strong words. I'm not going to say them. I'm going to let her say them. But it gets strong here too. 
Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, 248. Satan is busily engaged in influencing those who are wholly unsuited to each other to unite their interests. Teenagers, are you listening? He exalts in this work, for by it he can produce more misery and hopeless woe to the human family than by exercising his skill in any other direction. Wow. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, 364. Though the companion of your choice were in all other respects worthy, yet he has not accepted the truth for this time. What does that mean? What is the truth for this time? Seventh-day Adventist, the remnant church of Bible prophecy. Yet he has not accepted the truth for this time. He is an unbeliever, and you are forbidden of heaven to unite yourself with him. You cannot, without peril to your own soul, disregard this divine injunction. Is she writing that just because she's bitter and rah, 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 or is she trying to protect somebody? All right, we'll move on. Number five, find godly counselors. Find godly counselors. Proverbs 11, verse 14, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. A sure sign of a poor counselor is when one person tells you exactly what you should do. No, this is talking about a multitude of counselors. Godly counselors are to guide you in your decision, but never, never surrender your free will to another. Godly counselors ask good questions, point things out, give options, maybe even give some opinions but, or make suggestions, but godly counselors always lead the decision up to the individual. I've had various conferences call and they try and convince me, this is God's will for your life. I'm telling you, this is God's will. I have a hard time with that. I've had other conferences that have said something more like, we want to put your name on a list, and we're going to go through this process. Maybe there'll be an interview and some other things. But at any point in the process, if you feel like God is not guiding you in this way, you can withdraw your name, and there'll be absolutely no hard feelings. Why? Because we only want what God wants. I tell you, I'd much rather work for the latter than the former, wouldn't you? Don't worry, I'm not making any announcements at the end of this message. <laughs> so the Bible doesn't merely say there's safety in a counselor, because we can also find a counselor that will tell us what we want to hear. It says in a multitude of counselors. He doesn't want us to be dependent on just one person because they may, may be a um, dependent-type relationship, substituting God. We don't want that. No, ask a lot of people, continue to pray, continue to read God's Word, and He'll make it known to you. Proverbs 15, 22, Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Number six, look for providences of God. Now, you may not see all of these. And sometimes you move forward in the light you've been given, and you do your very best, but it still seems a little fuzzy. So sometimes you pray, Lord, help us to know which way here, which choice. They both seem like good choices. And so you look for the providences of God. What's the verse for that? Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart. My daughter, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. Watch what God's doing. 
Give him your heart and watch where he's opening doors, closing doors. Say, Lord, make it very plain. I know when we came here, we spent a lot of time in prayer and we felt God was leading us to Hendersonville. But there was this one piece that was a pretty significant piece. And that was the housing market was bad. We had bought high and everything dropped. We did so much work to this place. Put in so much sweat equity. I could go on and on and on. And still the selling price we knew was going to be lower. But we decided early on we're not going to make a decision based on finances because God's in control of finances too. That's just how we felt led. And so that's what we did. Sold our house. It sold quickly because it was nice for all the different things that we had done to it. Took a $30,000 bath on that little transaction. Lord, it's all yours. I'll make a long story, a short one, but within one year, that $30,000 debt, because we didn't have it, was paid off completely. We don't have $30,000 under the pillow. We don't have the means to say, okay, if we just stop eating out, you know, or whatever. No, we, but the Lord did something miraculous. And so sometimes it's not beforehand, sometimes it is, sometimes not till after as, as greater confirmation that God, and I think that's part of what will be so beautiful about heaven is to see how God orchestrated all these things that we can see a little bit at the time, but later we say, wow, God, you're incredible. And lastly, you know, the time comes, you don't always have forever to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. Maybe you only have four days, a week, whatever the thing. And so you make the best decision you can, knowing it is God's will. Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Knowledge is one thing, but then when to use it, that's wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom to know what to do. We have all these pieces, we have the pro and con list, but now tell us what to do. Those who decide to do nothing in any line that will displease God will know, after presenting their case before him, just what course to pursue. And they will receive not only wisdom, but strength. Sometimes you need both because God's leading you in a direction. You say, Lord, please no. He says, I'll give you the wisdom, but I'll also give you strength. I'll give you power for obedience, for service. It will be imparted to them as Christ has promised. 2 Timothy 3.14, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. I'm going to invite my mother-in-law up here in an attempt to make this more practical here. There was a call, and there's been several that y'all have had to process, but there's one in particular when you were called to go to Russia. And I've heard this kind of retold in in various times, uh, but that one was a major struggle. Uh, There's been other major struggles too, but tell us about the Russia one. We had served in Africa for nine years, wonderful years. It's basically where our kids grew up. And then we got the call back to the States, and I can tell you that it's much more traumatic to come back to the culture here than to go overseas to serve God and be stimulated by a new culture, a new people group, and you learn so much. Our oldest daughter was 12 when we came back, and I can't tell you how hard it was on her. And we we had been home for only two years. She was finally feeling like, you know, like she belonged. And at that very time, beginning of her 
her freshman year. I was, I was with my mom. Uh, we were on a trip, and I got a call from Ted, and he dropped a bomb on me. He said, they've asked us to go to Russia. Now, what? This cannot be God's will. I know that. But, you know, the bottom line is, if you want to do God's will, he will eventually make it so clear. We were on this trip. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I cried a lot, and I talked to God really straight, and he wants to hear exactly how we're feeling. Mm -hmm. And boy, did I give it to him. I said, Lord, I know this can't be from you because of this and this and this and this, but we really want to do your will. Show us clearly. We live in the country. Uh, I, I grew up in a log house in Hall Creek, close by here. And we had these three daughters. We wanted to be in the country. God had put his hand on this beautiful place. I was wrestling. We got home, uh, my mom and I. We got back to our house. And the important thing was there were two, two, Ted and I had to be thoroughly, thoroughly convinced that this was God's will. And our oldest daughter, Emily, who was 12, a very, you know, not an easy age to make another change. And she was mature beyond her years. And we knew her character. And we had agreed if she just says absolutely, no, we can't go. We just can't. We would have to consider her input. But anyway, uh, another thing, if we went to Russia, would be living an apartment building in Moscow. I was at the kitchen one day um, doing dishes, looking out window above our sink, looking at our backyard and the country, and I said, Lord, you, you showed us this place. You brought us here. Are you asking us to leave? And it was like he took a two-by-four, and I, I heard a voice, but it was like, I mean, it was like it was audible. But he said to me, is living in the country your God? It still gives me the shivers. Okay. It really startled me. And then, okay, we got home from our trip on a Friday. I just kept hoping and praying, really, that Emily would pitch a fit and say, no, we can't go. (laughs) So... I went into her bedroom. I'd, I'd go have these little quiet times with the girls every night. And so her room was dark. She was in bed, but not asleep. And I sat down. I said, Emily, tell me how you really feel. By, by now, she was 14. And she said to me, she took a few, you know, a few moments to think, and she said, Mommy, with all of those people over there needing help, It seems a small thing for us to be inconvenienced. And I thought to myself, Lord, you got to her before you got to me. All I can say is God made it so clear. It was nothing we would have chosen. But it was not only the hardest experience. I had to forage for food. We had encounters with the mafia. I could go on and on, but it was the most precious, precious time 
of our experience. I go to Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We, it is, it's a dangerous thing not to be open to God's leading. He knows what is best. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we need, and his ways are perfect. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nancy, for, <clears throat> for sharing that. Um, isn't it high time to ask this question in light of the three angels' message? He may not be asking you to move. Maybe he is. But maybe he's just asking you to move outside your comfort zone. Maybe he's just asking you to change your schedule a little bit, to prioritize some things. So make that a matter of prayer too. Lord, this thing in my life is taking a lot of time. Should I keep doing that, or do you want me to do something different? And he promises, he desires. God, he wants to guide you. And that's the first one. No, God wants to guide you. Be willing to do God's will. Analyze your motives. Look for biblical principles to guide you. Find godly counselors. Three, four people that you can lean on. Get their perspective. Look for the providences of God and then make the best decision you can knowing it's God's will. And so I hope you'll keep that. Maybe you've added some things to it and that would be fine. But keep it in a safe place. But even if you don't feel like you have anything big, a big choice to make, I would challenge you, Lord, I don't know how much time we have left on this planet. What do you want me to do? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we serve a God that is not aloof, but desires to lead us, to guide us. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be willing to lay everything down at your feet and to say, Lord, I don't know of any big major decision that you are calling me to make just now, but Lord, I still want to pray. Lord, what could I change? What could I do differently? What are you calling me to? And may we be willing to do whatever you ask us to do. Lord, I'm convinced that when we make you first and last and best, that those are the happiest people in the world. We don't want to miss out on what potentially could be or will be the most rewarding experience you have for us to grow our faith and to grow the faith of someone else. And so, Lord, our hands are open. We're asking you to fill them, to show us your plans, to guide us by your Spirit, and to make it plain. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.